Morning, church. Uh, for those who don't know who I am, my name's Zach. I'm uh, the pastor here at the Grove. We've been in uh, James for quite some time. And if you follow along and read James ahead, like uh, I hope you do, you might have thought, hey, we're finally going to get through James today. There's only a couple verses left. Um, we're not. We still have one more week after today. Um, and so we are almost done. So we're going to finish James next week. Um, God willing, I'm supposed to say that because James said to say that. Um, for those who laugh, you probably follow along. Everyone else, shame on you. Um, so in James, we're going to be one more week. After that, we're going to have a new sermon series. Um, it's going to be a, a, a shorter topical series. For those who don't know what we do here at the Grove, our kind of rhythm is we do uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, and in between those, we'll have something topical, something that... Uh, uh, me and maybe some other leaders have decided, like, hey, this would be really good for our church to hear right now, or this is the season we're in, and we want to kind of speak to this. Um, and so we're going to go through a series called When We Gather. That's what we titled it. And it's going to be primarily about what we, why we gather on Sundays and what we do when we gather. So today's actually going to talk a little bit about some of that, but we're going to go in more in depth over the next several weeks about why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do Christians get together? Uh, what we do. Why do we sing? Why do we preach? Why can't we just have a discussion? Why does why is someone standing up here preaching the word? Like why? Where do those things come from biblically, and why do we do them? Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go through that, and then uh, this fall we'll be in the Psalms, uh, looking at specifically the Psalms of David that David wrote at different times in his lives. Then before we know it, it'll be Advent, and we'll be going into Christmas and the New Year and our prayer series. And man, 2020 is almost here. Um, it feels like it, just saying that all that out loud. And so we'll be in James today, though. Um, Holly read it, and you've probably heard it, hopefully. She did a good job reading it, so you heard it. And you might be thinking, like, man, like, this seems like another just James telling me to do more stuff. We should pray. We should sing. We should um, get together with the elders and stuff like that. And there's this Elijah part where I'm really not sure what that's about. And so you hear this, and what I want you guys to see is James's one letter, right? And so James, he's a pastor. He's Jesus' little brother. He's writing to his church, and he, he gives them um, all these diagnostic tools that we talked about, right? These diagnostic tools that let him, uh, his people, lay this, this letter over their hearts and say, like, hey, is my heart really where I think it is? Is it really following Jesus? There's some ways. Am I really a doer of the word, or am I a hearer only? Am I really a Christian, or do I just believe some things are true, uh, I've intellectually acknowledged that Jesus is God and he's real and he died and rose again, or has that actually changed and transformed my life? So James gave us a bunch of diagnostic tools. And as he closes this letter, we saw last week, and we'll see the, this week and next, that he begins to just lay out some encouragement. Um, last week, he's telling us just to hang on. Just hold on. The end is coming. Jesus is returning. Our Father is coming um, the kingdom is coming to just hang on just a little bit longer, and it'll be here. So he's encouraging us, and then today we'll see us encourage us with some things that we can do as Christians while we wait for that day to draw near, um, or as that day is drawing near. And so we read in here some things like praying and singing, and um, I don't think any of us are going to be surprised by some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't think anyone in here hears that me say, hey, we should pray and talk to God, and you're like, oh my goodness, I never knew we should talk to God. Like, that didn't nuts. This is groundbreaking stuff here. Like, it's not going to be a groundbreaking sermon of like, hey, we should pray. Hey, we should sing. We literally just got done singing. So if you didn't know Christians sing, you weren't paying attention, right? So like, this is just what we do. And so nothing's groundbreaking. However, I think it's more than that. And if we just pick it apart um, and we just dig into it, uh, too much, we'll actually miss all of what James is trying to say. Because if you read it, James is saying, hey, if you're suffering, go to God. If you're, if you're cheerful, go to him. If you're sick, come to him and his people. Like he's saying, no matter what's going on in your life, come in. Whether you're suffering, whether you're going through a good season, whether you're cheerful, whether, thing, whether you're sick or ailed, like whatever is going on, come in. Like we've been given the ability as Christians to approach God's throne boldly. And so come in, no matter what's going on. So we have all these diagnostic tools, and we're seeing whether, hey, has, has the gospel really transformed my life? And to those it has, James is going to encourage them, you're going to go through some hard things. You're going to go through some great things. No matter what's going on in your life, come to him. Go to him. 
go approach the throne. We just sang that first song we sang, Grace Alone says this, and I love it, that it just fits what we're talking about. He says this, I was an or- the first chorus, I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear your call, but Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own, I had no right to draw near your throne, but Father, you loved me still. Like, Jesus has made a way for the Christian to come to the throne of grace boldly. And so we come, whether we're suffering, whether we're cheerful, whether we're sick, we come. And so many of us need to hear that because for some of us, when we're suffering, we withdraw. We withdraw from God, we withdraw from community because stuff's going on, I just want to be alone. Or some of us, we withdraw when things are going well because we're really good at coming to God when things are going bad because we need, we need him. And so when things are going well, it's like, well, I did it. I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm getting promotions. I'm getting more money. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm healthy because I work out a bunch. Like, so we withdraw from God and community because things are going well. And there's, there's, I think those kinds of people both exist here at the Grove. I know people who only come to the Grove and only text Margie specifically or text me when things are going horribly. They need our help. They need our prayers. And when things get better, we don't hear from them ever again. They don't respond to us. They don't come. And I got people who... Um, when things are going bad, they just stop showing up. It's just, oh man, I'm tired. I'm just, it's been a hard week. It's been suffering. Uh, or I've been suffering just through some stuff. It's just hard. And so James is not just saying you should pray, you should sing, you should call the elders to pray for you. He's saying no matter what's going on, come in. Come in. And so this is what he's saying. So we're, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about singing. We're going to talk about these things in community. Um, but we have to see the overall picture is not just you should pray, not just you should sing, not just you should be in community. But because those things can quickly become duties that we're just supposed to do. But if we can change the way we look at it, if we look at it through the lens of these are things we get to do because Jesus made a way for us, that we were once separated from that throne of grace, we, were no, we had no right to come to that throne of grace, and we still have no right, but God lets us anyway, that changes the way we look at prayer. If prayer is us talking to a God we don't deserve to talk to, but he lets us anyway, that changes it, right? If singing to a God who, who um, has, doesn't even need to hear us, doesn't need to listen to us. We have no right to be heard. We ha- our praises have no right or no, um, no place in his courts. But he allows us to be there anyway. Like this begins to change when we look at it. So we can't just say, hey, we should pray, we should sing, we should do this, but we have to look at it through this lens of the gospel, right? So as we talk about prayer, as this is what we're going to do. Let me just give you, let me spoil the whole sermon for you. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about singing. We're going to talk about community. Those are the three things. And we're going to talk about why Elijah's in here, because that's kind of a weird thing. It just seems tacked on at the end. Um, but it's actually probably one of the most encouraging parts of this passage. And then, and then we'll close. So we should pray. We should, we should talk to God. He has made a way for us. We get to talk to the creator of the universe. And so we should do that. We have, have, it's not that we have to, but we get to. So I have seven points. It's going to go by quick. Calm down. I have seven points about prayer. Stole all of these from a theologian named D.A. Carson. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, seven points. They're not mine, though. I normally don't have points, so you probably know I stole it from someone. Um, and so here we go. First, prayer should be planned. Our prayer time should be planned. I know some of us uh, really love that, you know, like the spontaneous, in the moment, in the spirit, kind of just lead me to pray. Th- those are good things, and those come, but prayer should also be planned. And it doesn't make it less intimate. It doesn't make it less um, effective. It doesn't make it less real because you plan it. I'm married to um, my wife. That's how that works. And um, I realized, saying that out loud sounded like obvious. I'm married to my wife. And uh, we've been married for 10 years, almost 11, right? That's true. And uh, in January, we planned a vacation. And I don't think she feels unloved because I planned it. Right? Like, she's not like, man, like, I can't believe he planned this vacation. Why can't we just go out spontaneously? We do do that. In fact, this week, we had a chance where the kids left the home and went with grandparents, and so we got to go out and got to go to eat, and it was great. But we also have times, of, uh, blocks of time where we plan to spend together. We plan to, to, to talk to each other about certain things. We, I mean, every Monday, we literally have a planned family meeting, just me and Margie. We go through our week, here's what's coming up, here's, here's, what's going, how, here's how you can pray for me through the week. And it, it's not weird, it's not, it's not unloving, but it is loving to plan time with your spouse. It's loving to plan time with God in the same way. So our prayer time should be planned, whether that looks like, hey, uh, I need to get up at 5.30 to get to work, so I'm going to wake up at 5.15 and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get to work. Or it's, hey, you know what, an easy one is 
Some of us get an hour for lunch at our job. You don't need an hour to eat. You just don't. It's not, I mean, like some of us may think we do. I know for me, I can eat in 15 minutes, just all the food you give me. But we don't need that whole, so maybe you just say, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to lunch at 12. I'm not actually going to go to lunch till 12, 15. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, and then I'm going to go to lunch. Whatever it looks like for you, because some of us, some of you guys are stay-at-home mamas, and you just don't have zero time. We need to fight for that time, whatever that looks like, whether it's waking up early, whether it's locking yourself in a closet or the bathroom, whatever it looks like, fight for that time and plan it. The second thing here is adopt, pra- this is a mouthful, and I'll explain it, I promise. D.A. Carson's way smarter than I am. I had to, like, Google some of these words. Adopt practical ways to impede mental drift, okay? I don't know what that means, but I looked it up. Here's what it means, is we are so... Uh, prone for our minds to drift because we we're praying but we have our you know we have our iphone on the table and all of a sudden an instagram dm comes in or someone tweets something or you know espn uh, notification or uh, pinterest notification pops up and we we're just so prone to forget that we were there to pray and we begin to drift and so we need to adopt practical ways to impede or to stop and slow down mental drift and that means turning using do not disturb mode or not even leaving your phone outside of, you know, wherever you're praying, whatever it may be, leave your phone out of it. Leave, leave your um, tablet, put it on Do Not Disturb, take your, eye, your Apple Watch off, whatever it could be, um, you know, whatever it could be. Adopt practical ways to impede mental drift. Number three is in different times and different seasons, seek out people to pray with. So have, have prayer partners, have people you pray with, not just pray for, pray with right? When people you want to, this is how we, honestly, this is how we learn to pray. When Jesus was asked, how do we pray? He didn't just give some sermon of like, hey, here's how you pray. Here's seven points like I'm doing. He's much better at it than I was. So he just prayed. He just showed his disciples, this is how you pray. I'm going to show you. So we get around people who pray and, and or we, we, we uh, different seasons and different times of our lives, we surround ourselves and we pray with people. And number four is very close to it. We just get around people who pray. So we actually intentionally pray with people and have prayer partners. And then we also um, surround ourselves and get around people who do pray. I think there's, maybe some of us have experienced, maybe some of us haven't been in this life, uh, this Christian life long enough to experience this, but I'll tell you, there's two different kinds of people who pray. Um, and, and probably one of them prays more than the other, and I'm guilty of the one who doesn't pray as much, okay? So let me just, out the gate. Uh, you have someone who says, hey, I'll pray for you. And then you have someone who says, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? Two, like, those are two different kinds of people, right? And I'm not saying one's bad. I'm the guilty of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you about that. But then you have this other person, and it's awkward when they do it, right? Because you're, like, in the middle of coffee, in the middle of a restaurant. Like, Can I just pray for you right now? And they just start to pray, and it's like, man, this is weird. The waitress is trying to come over here. We've already prayed for our food. She's coming over to just check on drinks, and while we're praying, like, she's going to think we're crazy. But this, different kinds of people, and so you, you're going to have those people in your life. Just get around them. Hear how they pray. Praying is just talking to God. But we need to have certain language, and, and, and people who pray can teach us how we talk to God and what we say and how this works. I think the, the, the fifth thing I'd say, that D.A. Carson would say, see, I'm already plagiarizing here. The fifth thing D.A. Carson would say is we need to develop a system for your prayer list. Um, for type A people, you guys are super excited right now. You're like, systems, I love it. People who are like me are like, oh, man, this sounds awful. It's not as bad as it seems. Just have systems for your prayer list, whether that's note cards, you just have family, and you're just writing down things like, man, you know, Elium going into kinder, going into first grade. I, just, I don't want to pray about that regularly. Um, or Salome, she's got an anger, anger issue. I'm going to pray about that regularly, okay? You guys join me in that, please. Salome, anger issue, put that on the pastor prayer card, okay? Um, you have systems. I actually don't use note cards. I do like technology. I use this app called Echo, um, and it's this really cool app. It literally just, things pop up on your screen. You pray for those things. You, you put them in there, and then you just swipe to the next, next card, and it just has a list of things. And so someone's like, hey, Zach, I'm having um, uh, an interview next Wednesday at 11. Uh, and so I just put in 10, 50, 1045. Please remind me to pray for that person. Boom, it's in echo. 10, 1045 pops up. Leave a little reminder on my computer, on my iPhone, and I just pray. So you just have these, have a system for your prayer list, whether it's a journal, note cards, an app, whatever it is, develop a system. Six, see, we're going pretty fast, so we'll get out of here in time. Six, mingle praise, confession, intercession, and tie as much as, as you can back to Scripture. 
So we're, um, we have these, uh, these like prayer grids that have been made, right? And so it's like, hey, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those are really cool. I think they can impede our prayer sometimes because we feel like I've got to pray all my adoration. Then I get to confession. I'm like, there's some things I want to thank God for, but I'm not there yet, so I've got to hold off on those things. And like we're praying through this line of succession. We don't have to pray like that. If that works for you, that's great, but I, I, I think we can mingle it all together when we tie things back to Scripture. And so we, we look at things um, like just pr- last uh, winter, last January, we did this thing where we just prayed through some psalms together, right? We actually, I did a sermon on prayer, then we just turned on some instrumental music, and we just prayed. It was awesome. I just heard tons of voices just praying, people praying with each other through the psalms. So this is what it looks like, is you just pick a passage of Scripture, and you read it until something jumps out at you that you want to pray for. Here's what Tim Keller would say happens when you do this, and I love this. Tim Keller um, writes this on a, on a book called Prayer. By the way, if you're looking for books about prayer, there's a couple that I would say. Uh, the first one is uh, a book called A Praying Life. If you're writing stuff down, this is the time. A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's a fantastic book, easily accessible, super practical. Um, and then Prayer, super creative book title called Prayer by Tim Keller is also fantastic. Uh, Tim Keller's is a little bit more academic, but also practical. Uh, Paul Miller, he's fantastic. He's got a loving life, a praying life. He's got a lot of life uh, books, and they're all great, so just read those. Uh, But here's what Tim Keller would say. We would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we were initiating prayer according to our own inner needs and psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is as revealed in scripture. Some prayers in the Bible are like that of an intimate conversation with a friend. Others like an appeal to a great monarch and others approximate a wrestling match. We must not decide how to pray based on what types of prayer are the ones effective for producing the experience and feelings we want. We pray in response to God himself. I love this quote because this, is, this, is, um, this ties our prayers to the word of God. And so we, we read, we were reading uh, James, and you're, I'm reading through James 1, and I'm like, God, would you just give me patience, like in suffering? Like, I'm so quick just to want to get out of suffering. I'm not good at just wanting to learn what you would have for me. Would you give me patience? You're just, you're just reading, and you're praying the things that come to mind. I'm reading, and I'm praying for Salome and Elium and my wife Margie. Like, you just begin to pray the hopes that you see that Paul has for the church. You begin to pray those same hopes for people around you. So you just read, and you pray. You read in the Psalms, and David's like agonizing over God, and like, God, where are you? I feel like I don't feel your presence. God, God, sometimes I feel like I don't even know where you are. Would you show me where you are? Would you show yourself to me? So you just pray scripture. You let God's word go into your ears, into your heart, and then come back out through prayer. It's awesome. So pray scripture. Um, Seventh, and uh, Carson stole this from the Puritans, so I don't feel bad. That's why I don't feel bad stealing all his stuff. But I lo- this is probably my favorite one. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Just be, like, like no one, you're not going to, like, figure it out before you start. You're not going to, like, study enough. You're not going to, you know, those books I gave you, read them. But don't wait to pray until after you read them. You're never going to, like, understand prayer enough one day where you're like, all right, I've studied prayer enough. I think it's time to start praying. That's not a thing. You just pray until you pray. So, so it's going to be awkward. If you're a husband and you don't pray with your family, it's going to be weird and awkward. Because for one, you're, you're, you starting to pray with your family is kind of admitting that I should have been doing this all along, and I haven't been, but now I'm starting. I don't know how to do it or what to say, and I'm so sorry. This is weird, but let's do it. If you're praying with your kids— it's going to be so weird. You're going to pray, spank, pray, spank. Like that's like kind of the rhythm of starting to pray with your kids is. Um, there's this, if you use timeouts, it's totally fine too. Uh, whatever it is, but it's going to take a lot longer with timeouts. And then, um, so you pray. I'm uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, you pray, and it's going to be awkward, and just press into it. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. None of us in here are like, I think I have a really good prayer life. I think I'm really good. Maybe someone is, not me. I'm always like, man, I could pray more. I could do this better. I could pray more with people. I could pray more in private. And so just pray until you pray. All right, that's prayer. So 
we got, there's a little bit more to go. We're going to talk about singing next. So he says, he says, uh, if anyone is, is suffer, among you is suffering, let him pray. To anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. So we sing. Singing is kind of weird too, isn't it? Like singing with people next to you who could hear you. Some of you guys don't sing and I see you. I can look around and I see you're not singing. That's, that's get it. I get it. Look, uh, I totally, totally understand it. I'm just saying you're missing out. Um, you should just sing, uh, especially men who feel like singing is, is not a, a masculine thing. Um, you just got to read the Bible. Like David played a harp and he just cut off Goliath's head. Like I don't know how much more manly you want to get than cutting off some dude's head and then going home and playing a harp. Like this, like nothing's uh, effeminate about playing the harp if, if David did it, right? So we sing and we should all sing. And so this is, this is what we do when we sing. We praise God and we worship God through song and it makes some of us uncomfortable we're not good at it. Maybe you're like me, you have no idea what the words melody and harmony even mean, but you know like it's a thing, and so you just try and sing. And so it's uncomfortable, like, but we sing. We, we, nowhere else do we really sing with people like this, uh, other than maybe like on a road trip with family, we all, the certain song comes on, and everyone sings together. Um, a pro tip, do not correct your spouse about lyrics she's been singing wrong for like a decade. Um, she will get really upset, and embarrassed and never sing again in front of you. Um, so just don't do that. That's true? It's true. Um, but we sing. And so here at church, we sing. And, and there's uh, three things I want to speak about singing that I think is super helpful for us and help us to, to look at why we sing and, and what it does for us. The first thing I think singing helps us with is what C.J. Mahaney would call a take-home theology. And so when we uh, sing here at the church, we are singing certain songs, and those songs are teaching us theology. You may think that I get up here and I preach and I teach, and that's the only preaching and teaching time here, but it's not. Our songs shape the way we think. If you're, if you're like, I'm not really good at theology, I don't really know theology, as soon as you start singing a song, specifically songs about God, but I would make the case of any song, you begin to speak out a certain way that you view life, God, yourself. And, and so songs teach us theology. And when we sing, we are singing theology. When we go home, we take that home with us. Because more than you're going to remember my sermon, you're going to remember the songs that we sing. That's fine with me. I think it's helpful for us to take songs home and to sing those. My kids, six-year-old little Elium, four-year-old Salome, they love singing the songs we sing here at church. And it's so awesome and a beautiful thing to see Elium just singing out, bless my, uh, um, how's it go? Bless my soul? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. See, I'm like, I said it right the first service. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, but bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Like, my kids are singing that at home. And they're singing these other, like, it's just amazing. So they're able to take those things home and sing truths about who God is, what he's done, and who they are back to God. Second thing I would say is that it encourages us. Um, it, 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 it builds the body up. And so one of my favorite parts about even concerts or um, singing, uh, even here at the church, is, is that moment, uh, it happened here, like, for the first time a couple months ago, we were singing, and I've talked about this before, so sorry, it's a repeat for some of you, but we were singing, um, All Glory to Christ Alone, and, uh, Jesse was singing it, leading us in singing it, you guys were singing really awesome, and Jesse pulled back and stopped singing, and you guys just kept going, man, that was awesome, like, almost brought tears to my eyes, uh, which happens more and more as, as I get older, but this one, like, I was almost just in the middle of church just crying because how beautiful it was to hear the saints sing. I'm going to pause for a second and just say, uh, we thought we got the air conditioning fixed. Obviously, we were wrong. We now know the actual problem, and it should be fixed this week. Um, there was a, there, it was a whole thing, but just know that we're getting it fixed. Um, so I love you guys. You guys can fan yourselves, do whatever you need to do, but it's okay. We're going to be okay. Next week should be better. I have it on good authority next week. If not, just blame, blame Adam Burleson, okay? All right. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, blame Adam Burleson. Uh, so where was I? Second, it encourages one another. Lastly, um, it helps us in our time of need. Singing does. Like, look, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, preaching is, we're going to talk about it in our sermon series when we gather. Preaching is necessary. It's good. It shapes the church. But when you guys are suffering in your time of need, you're, you're less likely to remember some cool statement I made, if I make those at all. And you're going to remember a song we sang. And so in that moment of need, 
you're going to be able to sing, and it's going to encourage your soul, and it's going to be like a warm blanket on a cold night to you. And so this is why we sing. This is why we do, this is why we do it. And so we need to sing, we should sing, and we should sing loud. And if you're like, I don't want to sing, and you're a Christian, you should just do it. Just enter in and see what happens. It's a good thing for your soul to sing together. All right, so then he goes on in verse 14 and says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So he, he's, he, there's this assumption here I want us to see. There's this assumption that James is making that his people are going to be in community, right? Because he's saying to call upon the elders. Well, what, if you're not in community, you don't have any elders to call upon. What, are you just going to, like, call each church, like, hey, can I borrow one of your elders? I'm sick. Can I just have one for a moment? Like, like no, there's this assumption of community that, that the believers that James is writing to are scattered across the land, but yet they belong to a local church that has biblical, qualified male leadership and plurality. And this is something that they have and that he was assuming they'd have. So he says, call upon the elders. They belong to community. That the elders would pray for you and anoint you with oil. And for all my essential oil people, I love you. This isn't your verse. It's not talking about like medical oils. There are people who would say that this is talking about medicine and you should use, you know, oils or just even modern day medicine and pray. And you absolutely should use modern day medicine, 100%. Um, but you, and you should also pray, but this isn't what James is talking about here. This anointing with oil was a symbolic um, moment that um, was going to exhibit what was happening in our hearts, that, hey, we are setting, we're praying for this person, and we're setting them apart to be healed and loved and, and, and touched by God. Douglas Moo, a Christian writer would say this, as the elders pray, they are to anoint the sick person in order to symbolize that the person is being set apart for God's special attention and care. Anointing is not automatic in producing healing, but serves as a prayerful expression, an intensifier of our plea, asking God and waiting for him to heal. So it's this, it's this symbolic thing. All throughout the Bible, you see this idea of anointing with oil was this idea of setting someone apart. That David was anointed with oil, as a shepherd, we are setting someone apart. And so um, as we pray for people, we, we should, and elders should anoint them with oil to set them apart for God's special attention and care And as we wait and expect God's healing. And, the, and it says here that they will be healed. Um, and we believe that as Christians, that if we pray for a Christian to be healed, they will be healed, maybe not today, tomorrow, but in glory, right? We read it last week in Revelation 21 that, that a day is coming where all things are made new. So that the people uh, are, are healed, or, you know, we will be healed and we will be made new upon that day. So they absolutely will be healed, but it does not mean we should, uh, we should blame our lack of faith if someone's not healed today or tomorrow. People do that, and it, uh, it's not good. It makes me really angry, and I have hard conversations with people, and it's not good. Don't blame people's faith for the lack of healing. Don't blame people's faith for ha- them having children with disabilities. Oh, man. Like, we'll have really bad conversations. You're not going to like if you do that. Like, this is not what's happening here. We believe that there will be healing for the believer in glory, and we might have to wait for that. It could, we believe it could happen today. You know what? We expect it to happen today. But if it doesn't, it doesn't mean God's unfaithful. It doesn't mean that I'm unfaithful. It just means it's not what God wills today. We trust him more than we trust ourselves. So we pray and we seek, um, we pray, we anoint oil to set someone apart. There's this assumption of community, and James is going to continue to assume these people are in community. He says in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Confession is good for you. Science, secular science would say, it's, I have the studies, I don't want to like, bore everyone with like, academic stuff, but, but confession is good for you. It literally reduces stress, reduces cortisol levels in your, in your body. Like, just confessing actually makes you feel better. And it's just science saying, yeah, the Bible's right. Confession's good for the soul. 
But we believe as Christians, it is more than just lower your cortisol levels, although it does that. We believe that it exhibits, it shows the gospel when you confess and you receive forgiveness from those you're confessing to. When you confess to the church and you're welcomed back as you confess and as you repent, you're welcomed into the fold of God. We believe that this shows the gospel. And so, yeah, we should confess our sins to one another because it's good for us and it shows this. Here's, here's how David would say it in Psalm 32. It'll be up on the screen starting in verse 3. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There's this gnawing in the pit of his stomach because he's, he's, he's being silent about secret sin. Verse 4 says, For day and night your, heavy was, your hand was heavy upon me, so he couldn't sleep well. It says, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's exhausted. Then he ends the psalm, or ends this section with Selah. Stop, pause, think about this. So here's David, a man with secret sin, says, There's this gnawing in the pit of my stomach. I am exhausted. I am not sleeping because there's this secret in me. Look, I'm not naive. I know some of you have come in today with this exact thing happening in your life. Well, there's something in your life that you know is sin and you won't tell people because you're afraid of the, of the repercussions. You're afraid of the severity of the reaction of the people you have to confess to. Maybe you're a man today and you're, you have this pornography addiction. You're just so afraid to tell your spouse because you're afraid of what she'll do. Maybe you're here today and you have an eating disorder and you're so afraid to tell people, you're afraid of what they'll think of you. You're so afraid. Maybe you struggle with anxiety or depression um, and you're so afraid to tell people because you don't know what they'll think of you. The, the, the reality is you're ignoring the severity of what's happening right now in your life. You think you're just better off with the, with the exhaustion, that you're better off with that gnawing sense of, of uh, in, in the pit of your stomach. You're, you're so much better off not sleeping. I'm like, no. You're not better off keeping it a secret. Not medically and not biblically. It, you need to confess the only way, listen, the only way to kill darkness is to drag it into the light. There's no other way. And so this is, and like, look, and like, look, the better way is to step into the light. If God loves you, he will drag you into the light. Oh, it'd be so much better and such a good picture of the gospel if he would just step in. Like, willingly step in the light. You're not going to fix this by yourself. I have the, the great displeasure to talk to men who struggle with pornography addiction over and over and over again at the church ever since we started. And you have men who are so afraid to tell their wives. Some men tell their wives, and I think it's fantastic. Some men get caught, and then they confess. And, and then you have men who just who, who confess to me, maybe, they're so afraid to tell their wife. They think, ah, why do I have to tell her? Can I just fix it? And it's like, bro, how long have you been doing this? Since I was 13, 12. You are 35 years old. You can't fix it. How long have you been trying you think you're going to do? Like, you need help. You need to get it out there, and you need help. Whether it's that or anything else going on in your life, that's sin. Like, you need help. You can't do it by yourself. You've been trying, you're exhausted. You don't feel well, and you think, I can, I can fix this. If I, just, if I just try harder this time, if I read the right book, if I, if I do the right steps, if I, if I like, just put the right habits in my life, I can get rid of these. No, you can't do it. Confess, repent, seek the means of grace that God has given you through community. You can't do it. I don't know what's going on in your guys' life, but I think there's some people in here who are going to have to have a conversation later today with someone they love. You're going to have to confess some things that you've thought, there's no way I'll ever tell this person that. And I ask that you would just please be bold enough to do that. And then the last thing I want to say on this is that if you're someone here today who's going to be on the receiving end of that conversation, that you're going to hear something, you're going to hear someone confess about pornography or eating disorder, or they're drinking too much, like way more than they should, whatever it is, would you please give them the grace that you say you have received from God? Show them the mercy, show them the grace that you sing about, that you praise God for. Show it to them. I'm not saying the relationship needs to stay the same, there might be some boundaries we've got to put up, some things that got to change, but show them grace and mercy in the way in which you respond. I'm going to pray and ask God for that today for you guys because you guys are going to need God's help to do that, but that should be our response.
he's going to assume that they're part of a community of believers, and we should be. And then he's going to close with this illustration of Elijah. Elijah, verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours. I love that part. And if you don't know his story, we'll go through it in a minute. But I love that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So there's this illustration of this man, Elijah. If you don't know much about Elijah, it's totally cool. I didn't know when I first became a Christian. It's not like David and Goliath. You don't hear a lot about it outside of Christianity. But you come into his story in 1 Kings chapter 17, when he's standing before this evil king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And on a side note, if you're looking to name your kids biblical names, Jezebel's not a good one. Um, I know some of us, like, we just want to flip through the Bible and be like, man, Jezebel, that sounds really cool. Not a good one. Like, people, it's not good. Uh, Ahab's no, probably no good either. Elijah's a good one. If you're, like, looking for, like, Eliam, Salome, those are cool names. We did that, but not, not, not Jezebel. Um, you're just asking for, like, a world of heartache for your children. Jezebel and Elijah and Ahab. They're there. A, uh, Elijah would say that uh, it hasn't, it's already stopped raining for six months. Elijah tells him it's going to stop raining uh, for three more years, which isn't good for a king to hear. His people are going to begin to starve. There's going to be no food, no, no water. And so he's, he, he gets angry. He doesn't want to hear this. So he gets angry. He wants Elijah killed. And Jezebel wants him killed. So Elijah flees to the brook in Cherith. There at the brook in Cherith, God ministers to him, loves him, uh, gives him water from the brook. He gives him, uh, he feeds him through the birds. The birds bring him food, and God takes care of him. And, and then one day, it all starts to dry up. And Elijah no longer has water from the brook. So he begins to wonder, did I do something? Has God forgotten about me? Did I sin against him? Then the Lord leads him to the widow at Zarephath. He approaches the widow and he says, hey, God sent me here to get something to eat. Would you make me something to eat? And the widow says, hey, um, it's just me and my son here. We have just a little bit of flour, a little bit of water, and a little bit of oil. We were going to make one little cake. We were going to eat it and die. Super optimistic woman, somebody like you really want to invite to parties and stuff, right? Um, and so this is what she says to Elijah. And Elijah says, hey, like God said he'd provide for me here. Would you make it for us and let me eat? So sure enough, they begin to eat the cake they made, and every day there's enough oil, water, and flour to keep making cakes. And they're eating, and everything's good, until one day, for no reason at all, it seems, the widow's son dies. And it's a hard day. The widow begins to wonder, did I do, is this because of my sin? Did I do something to cause my son to die? And, and Elijah begins to wonder, too. You think like a man of God like who's prophesying would just be like, oh, I can heal him. You, know, like you see that story in the Bible a bunch. But he begins to wonder, too, did I do something? Now, eventually, we'll see that he does heal the son, and the son does come back. And so you have this man who, who has seen um, birds feed him. He's seen oil Flour and water make cake over and over and over again. And you, he's seen someone come back to life. And then he goes, we see him um, on Mount Carmel fighting, fighting with other, like the prophets of Baal. Such a cool, like, this would be a cool movie scene, like, in Hollywood. So it's got yeah, Elijah, he's, he's literally, so these, these prophets of Baal, this other God, they're, they're making sacrifices. And Elijah's calling down fire from heaven. How awesome of a spiritual gift is that? Like, Man, I wish Paul included that in the New Testament, that we could, like, pray earnestly for the fire from heaven gift. That would be amazing. Elijah had this. And the fire would come down from heaven, and it, would, it, would, uh, not, it, would, it wouldn't just burn up the sacrifices, but the dirt and the rock around it. And then Jezebel hears what happened to, killed the prophets, what happened to the prophets, and this is what she says. God, deal harshly with me if by this time tomorrow, talking to Elijah, you're not like one of those. So that sounds confusing. People talk back then, apparently. Not in English, but anyway. So she says, God, would you deal harshly with me if by this time tomorrow, Elijah's not dead, just like my prophets. 
So Elijah, who literally just got done calling fire down from heaven, what do you think he does? He runs like a little boy and pouts. That's what he does. This is a man who saw God um, feed him with birds, who saw oil, water, and cake just a little bit, continue to feed, saw a dude come back from the dead, fire come from heaven, runs, and he pouts. He says, God, I'm, I'm the only one who never bent the knee. Why, why would you do this? Like, would you just kill me? I don't want to die by her hands. Would you just kill me now? Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, right? On a side note, we have uh, some people in the church, not this church, but in like the church and the Christianity who would say, man, if we just, if we could just pray and if we had enough faith, we'd see the miraculous signs and we'd see the power of God and then a new generation would believe. Really? Because Elijah saw a bunch of cool stuff and he doubted and he struggled with faith. In fact, people literally saw Jesus ascend to heaven and some of them did not believe after seeing that. So I don't think, uh, we believe in the miraculous here at the Grove. We believe that the gifts of the spirits have continued. Um, but we don't believe they're the focus of the church. The gospel is. And as much as those gifts point to the gospel, we're for them. As much as they point to ourselves or anything else, we're, we're no, that's not what they're for. The miraculous did not save Elijah. The idea that God would forgive and empower someone to keep getting up and keep coming after him, keep getting up and keep coming after him. Because the story didn't end with Elijah pouting. He eventually gets back to work. He announces his successor, Elisha. And the next time we see Elijah is on the Mount of Transfiguration and glory next to Jesus. Like, that's our promise as Christians. The gospel, not the miraculous, didn't save Elijah, but the gospel, the idea that there's this God that even when we mess up, when we pout, when we, when we cry out to him that his way is not good for us, we want to just die right now would let us keep coming back and keep coming back to him. A gospel that Elijah did not know yet, but that would, Jesus would come someday, that he was awaiting the coming of the Messiah that would come and make a way for us to approach that throne of grace boldly. So this is the story. This is why this is an encouraging story. Because for you here today, for those who, who have been going through James and you're, you're hearing these diagnostic tests of like, hey, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? And you're, you're, you're realizing, hey, you know what? The gospel has done a work in my heart, but I'm not where I want to be. I still have doubts. I still have struggles. You can be encouraged by Elijah. That a man who saw way cooler stuff than you've probably seen physically was saved and sustained by the same spirit that you now have access to through Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. This is James's encouragement to his people as he begins to land this plane of this long letter is to share with him the story of Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. You see why I love that part? Because I didn't see a lot of stuff like he did, but I have the same nature. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to flee. I'm prone to pout. Be like, God, why me? I'm the only one who's trying to do stuff here. Why are you doing this to me? I'm a pout like Elijah, but he's a man with a nature like ours. I know a lot of you guys struggle. You have doubts. And the plea here today is to press into the Lord. Press into him through prayer. Press into him through singing and through community. Some of you guys love the idea of community. And it sounds really cool. And we get a lot of people to sign up for home groups when we first announce it. But then life comes in. The fog starts to come in. We talked about last week. Life starts to press in. And then you retreat. And you withdraw. And to be honest, I get frustrated. Not, not, not at you, but just because I know what God has for you in community and you refuse to enter in. I just want to plead, like, would you, like, this is the means of God's grace that he uses in the New Testament to love, care for his people, his community. Like, your relationship with God is, is absolutely always has been personal, but it was never meant to be private. It was meant to be lived out in and through the context of a family of faith. And so many times we, we retreat from those things because we're just tired, it's been a long day. I just, I can't go to home group. I had a long night last night. 
I just can't go to church in the morning. Oh man, if you would just press in and find what God has for you there. It's, I'm, I'm suffering. And it's just, it's been, a, it's been a tough week. I don't know if I can make it this week. I'll be honest with you guys. If you would just enter in, if you would just find a home group, find a community, commit to it, and fight for that time, like you do the, the times that are important to you, fight for that time and show up and be faithful and see what God would do. I think you'd be surprised, like happily surprised. This is, this is not just God's means of grace for you, but it's God's means of grace through you. When you retreat from community, you're robbing others of what God would have for them. God wants to use you in a way, not just use those in the community for you, but use you in a way for them. You have certain giftings. You have certain things. You have certain personalities. And look, I'm not saying home group's going to be easy. This is literally just a, a plea for people to join home groups. We're going to announce home groups are coming back today at the end of the service. Spoiler alert. Please sign up today. Uh, someone's going to come up here and tell you how to sign up later. But like seriously, if you just enter in and commit, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's a family, right? It's so like you guys, there, there's going to be people there who annoy you so badly. People there who just like frustrate you. People there who bring weird food that you don't understand why are they bringing this? No one's going to eat this. People there who love you and encourage you. This is, that's like a real family, right? Yeah, my mom just said yes. So she knows that our family's like that. Probably talking about me, but I'm not talking about you guys for the record. It's your, it's your other sons. Um, I'm just kidding. They're great too. But uh, my parents are here, by the way, all the way from California, so I'm really glad about that. Okay, yeah, you could clap, I guess. Sure. That was cool. Okay. Um, I don't know why we clap. I just want to honor you guys. I love you guys a lot, so there you go. Um, the point is, what was I saying? Uh, home groups are like a family and community, and so would you just press in, even when you're tired? Like, there's lots of things we do when we're tired because we want to do them. Could this be one of them for you? I think it could be. I think it should be, for being honest. But I think you get to have this. It's not just that you should or you have to, but you get to. Like, we, we try and make it as easy as possible. The church, on, in, our, in, our, on our line, our, well, there's a line in our budget for child care for home groups. Um, we ask that people who come to home groups also contribute a little bit, but we... We want to make it so easy that anyone who comes to a home group has no excuse to not come. We put them all over the place. We've got, we've got some in Burnsville, Micaville, Bakersville, Spruce Pine, all the pines, all the villes. We're working on others. Like this is, we want to make it easy for you guys. But would you today, this week, find one, commit to it, and then show up to it? That's, I mean, that's it. That's, it's, 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 it's easier than it seems, but it takes effort. Home groups are coming August, the week of August 25th. Uh, we launched a new one in Burnsville. We got two in Spruce Pine, one in Bakersville, Burnsville, Micaville, um, Sunday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. These are the times. Come, enjoy, have a meal, pray, make, build relationships, be a family. Um, as we close this, I just want to encourage you guys. I know James, like James kind of hit us hard the first several weeks. And then he got encouraging, then I kind of hit you guys hard last, like last week and this week. Last week, I kind of said some things um, uh, about you guys, and, uh, you know, I can't be your guys' best friend, and maybe referees, who, who, people who want to be here and be referees should go be a referee elsewhere. And you guys came back, and you brought some people, so I love you for that. Um, and I know today, I'm just like pleading with you guys to do home groups and to be a part of one. Um, but I want you guys to leave encouraged that no matter what has been going on with your life, whether you're suffering, whether you're cheerful, whether you're sick, God has made a way for you to enter in. You can come back to home group. You can come back to him. You can come back to his people. No matter what's happening, he's made a way. And that's what we do here. Every Sunday is we, we celebrate that way. We celebrate and praise him for making that way for us. So we're going to hear, we're going to have communion here in a moment. Um, and we're going to have a time of congregational singing where we get to sing and praise God together. We're going to pray. Um, so we're going to try and do all the things James just told us to do. 
things we do every single week because of what God has done for us, that he's made a way for us. And so we celebrate that through the broken, a breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine or the juice. We celebrate that God's son was given for us so that we can enter into that throne room, a place we have no right to be. We can enter in. If you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, the only thing is we'd ask that you wouldn't partake in communion with us. Um, we're not trying to single you out or make you feel weird. It's just that communion is recognizing and celebrating what God's done for us. And if you're not a Christian, you've decided not to be a part of that. And it wouldn't make sense for you to symbolically be a part of that. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you want to be a part of that, you want to come in that throne room, you want to respond to what God did on the cross, you just repent and believe. If you want to talk to someone about that or pray about that, I'll be over here. would love to chat with you about that. Um, if you need prayer for something, I'd love to pray it with you. Uh, I will be off here, and you guys can come, and we'll pray. But as we close, we'll sing, we'll pray. If you're a member of the Grove um, or someone who just wants to support and invest in what we're doing, we have a box up here you can give. You can also give online uh, at our website, thegrovesp.com. And this isn't me asking you guys if you're a visitor here today or new around here for money. This is just me, us worshiping the Lord through song, drinking, eating, and giving, what he's, giving back to him what he's given us. And so this is what we do here. I'm going to pray for us. Sire will come back up and lead us in song. <sighs> Father God, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you so much for this letter uh, that Pastor James can write to his people 2,000 years ago, and it still ring true and speak to us today. God, as we go into this season of bringing home groups in this next semester of home groups, Lord, would you just bless that? Would you draw people into community? Would you um, stir up in people's hearts here this morning that's a desire to be in community? Lord, would you uh, stir in us desire to pray, desire to sing, Lord, that we may um, come into your throne room, Lord, that we get to, and so we would. Father, I pray that as we sing, as we drink, as we eat, as we give, Lord, that it would be holy and glorifying to you, that you would hear it and smell a sweet incense, Lord, from here, God. And that as you hear it and as it hopefully blesses you, that you would bless us with your presence and your grace and your mercy. And Father, it's in your beautiful son's name I pray. Amen.